All right, everybody. So this week, we're going to be releasing an episode from our Patreon vault. Not even all of it, actually. Just a, a little over half, probably. And you can get the full episode of this at our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash superhero stuff pod. So without further ado, here we go. Adam West, old buddy, old pal, thanks for coming in for this audition. Thank you for bringing me in. Lovely to have you here, Hoss. So we have your sides here. And uh, just uh, have at the lines for, uh, you know, your audition to be the next James Bond. So I'm sure it's a shoe in but this is more of a formality, really. And uh, just go, go ahead. There you go. Thank you, old chum. Before I start, I just want to make clear you want me to be different from Batman, right? We want you to put your Adam West flair onto the next James Bond. Let's put it that way. Say no more, old chum. I'd like a vodka martini, shaken, not stirred. Now, is that... You're, okay, pretty good, but... Thank you. Just wondering if you could... I mean, why was that like a question? You said to add the Adam West flair. Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's try it again. Maybe try it a little differently this time, okay? So, uh, take two. Go ahead. I'll have a vodka martini, shaken, not stirred. Okay, that was a little bit better. All right, so um, let's move on to the second page there on your sides. In this scene, you're going to be talking to Blofeld, and uh, you've uncovered his, his evil plan. Say no more. Blofeld, you foul fiend. See, I've added the foul fiend, the Adam West flair. You foul fiend, you and your cat crimes, I will bring you to justice. Okay, starting to think this wasn't such a good idea. I, I, I guess you just you just talk like that. What seems to be the problem, old chum? I think you forgot where Batman ends and West begins. And, and then it's seeping into all your other ro roles there, hoss. Mr. Broccoli, I have range. Okay, we're gonna give you one more try. This is a fight scene, okay, buddy? Uh, we got some stuntmen yes. here ready for you to, uh, you know, they they can take a punch. They, you know, you don't have to pull your punches too much with these guys. So, uh, take oh, it away. I'm ready. Okay, let's let's see it. Uh, let's see how well you do action as Bond. So here you go. And bam, pow, zapple, wham. I think I did pretty good. Wow, uh, this is amazing. It's like the soundtrack appeared out of thin air. Um, you know what? You have ways to have ways to revitalize the franchise. All right, so basically, um, maybe I'm the first guy in Hollywood to say this because it is the 60s, but uh, I'll have my people call your people. So it's been great, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes from here. Very well, Mr. Broccoli. I'll see myself out. Oh, thank God. I did not want another franchise. Welcome, everybody, to Behind the Paywall. This time around, Ooh. we're going to be going... Up well, Ben is going to be regaling me with the bat tutelage once again. Yes. This yes, time, indeed. Batman and Bond can't wait for it yes Penitavious, i i'm gonna say up top i've not seen any of the classic bond films i know that's driving any of the, the listeners crazy. or any any of the bond films not nah, <laughs> dude i've seen 
I've never gone in the fucking archives. I the latest one, the earliest ones I've seen are the Pierce Brosnan ones. Gotcha. You've seen the Daniel Craig ones? Yeah, I've seen those. Okay. All right. Okay. I was just curious about your uh, what you've seen and everything. So anyway, the reason why I'm covering this is because Batman Soul of the Dragon was this week's episode, and it kind of turned you know Richard Dragon into a James Bond type. And I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. And then I started thinking about possible connections between the Batman franchise and the James Bond franchise. And I didn't originally think that I would do an episode on it. I just thought, like, oh, I'll do a few mentions in the main app. And then I started writing out the different connections. And then many pages later, I was like, okay, there's an epi- There's a separate episode. There's a whole thing here. <laughs> yeah. So I know you're not a big Bond fan. However, I'm maybe just, after... I'm just not... I don't want to offend anybody listening it's i just We're don't gonna know. lose some patrons <laughs> I, I you know it's the thing the thing is like the i'm gonna i know you know it ben but just to explain it to our patrons yes yeah. um mm-hmm. i just the reason i like superhero stuff is because they always go into character really well i know who bruce wayne is i know who tony mm-hmm. stark is you know i know who uh uh what's his name wade wilson is you know i know all these characters mm-hmm. like if they if they and, and comic books are really good about that, and they've had 80 years sometimes to figure it out. Mm-hmm. But with Bond, I just don't know who the fuck he is, man. I don't... Maybe maybe I could get into it more. I mean, you know, the suits are cool, and I understand it's important, and, uh, you know, film history and stuff. He's a British superhero. Mm-hmm. I get it. I'm not right. trying to shit on anybody's parade. But if it's a choice between Iron Man or James Bond... I might, I'm probably going to choose Batman Iron Man. and James Bond. For Batman yeah. and James Bond, yeah, I'm going to choose Batman. I mean, I choose Batman over Star Wars, you know, so... Well, yeah, same here. That's me. So. <laughs> I hate the idea of, like, if you tell somebody you're into nerdy stuff, they it seems like generally they think that Star Wars is going to automatically be at the top of your list. Mm, well, yeah, it's, I can see that. Yeah. It's not. It's not. I like Star Wars. I've seen all of them. Um, at yeah, least there's a reason why this is not Star Wars stuff you should know. Yeah, I mean, it's just not my thing yeah. as much as Batman stuff, you know? It's just, yeah, just same, not. Of course. It's just not. Mm-hmm. Well, interestingly enough, when I was growing up, I immersed myself in, and you've noticed this before on the podcast, uh, Sherlock Holmes, Dracula, and also James Bond, the classic James Bond, and if you combine Holmes, Dracula, and James Bond, you get Batman. Yeah, so it's yeah. not it's not really he that likes big of a Robocop surprise. Robocop because he shows his chin. <laughs> <laughs> like, like he's like Batman. It's like okay, he's really nothing really else like Batman other than that. Man, I'm just gonna say it, man. You have a type. <laughs> I think so. You I have so. a type, man. Yes. Yeah. So I have a, I have a type of hero, which is you know, it's kind of fun to go into all the different connections because of the fact that like they obviously have similarities and they have a lot of differences so before i get into the similarities i want to give a quick sort of recap on bond himself for those who don't know or are only familiar with say the pierce brosnan movies or the daniel craig movies because i'm also not sure if our listeners are that up to date with it either uh james bond was a literary character first he was introduced to readers in 1953 with the yeah. novel Casino Royale by author Ian Fleming, who is a former British spy himself. Uh, obviously, Fleming glamorized it a little bit for uh, <laughs> the books, uh, so I don't think he ever claimed that they were directly based off of his missions. Yeah, they say that uh, being a spy is mainly like working at the DMV, like it's just boring-ass paperwork. Right. You know, like, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure they carry a gun, but you're doing paperwork 
with a gun at your side. You know, it's mm. like, yeah. I don't know. I'm sure a lot of it, I'm sure it's really glamorized. Well, the assassination attempts or assassination moves are definitely... Maybe not uh, as glamorized, though. Yeah, not as... Gl- not, not, well, yeah. I'm sure it's not just paperwork, but yeah. it seems to be, you know, like a cop, regular beat cops have a lot of paperwork, so spies, I'm sure it's a lot of that, too. Yeah, there's a spy story where they hid a poison tip at the end of an umbrella, and that's how they killed a guy. And I was just like, that's like real-life penguin shit. Yeah, that is you know? true. That is <laughs> so, true. Uh, let's see. So the bond of the books is actually very different from the one in the movies in some way. Some of the books differ from uh, the films as well. But in the books, Bond himself is more human, more vulnerable, less of a superhero. He does fall in love. He does get hurt both emotionally and physically. Uh, the movie franchise is a lot more heightened, of course. It has its own tropes that aren't really in the books as much. Of course, the books still have, like, the Bond girls and the villains, but uh, it's less action-heavy and more on the espionage and how... I was about to say Bruce. How Bond <laughs> is feeling when he is basically a hired assassin for king and country and how he's able to separate himself from his humanity in order to do that. Uh, so the... Bond movies are more influenced by the Hitchcock movie North by Northwest, which they sort of use as more of a template than the actual books. It's kind of a combination of the Ian Fleming books, but mostly North by Northwest sort of heightened espionage caper with some humor and action stuff thrown in. So That is interesting. I, I, yeah. I, I'm a terrible film student. I have never seen North by Northwest. I need to it's do a, that. It's a nice, fun romp. I don't necessarily think it's... It's not one of my favorites, but I can see where the influence comes in because Cary Grant, who's in that, not only was influential on the performance of Christopher Reeve as Clark Kent, but he also was somebody who they were trying to get to play James Bond in the early days uh, because of his performance in in North by Northwest. I've seen Uh, Rear Window, I've seen Psycho, and I've probably seen others that I can't think of right now. Psycho's awesome. If you see Rear Window, and I mean, in my opinion, if you've seen Rear Window, that's pretty much the peak. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's that is the one. first one I saw, and nothing's really topped that ever since when I went through. Like, I, I took a whole class in film school on his filmography, so I pretty much saw like all the major ones, and I was like, wow. yeah, nothing beats the first one that I saw. Wow! So I, I would, I would say Psycho might be more entertaining for some reason for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Psycho's good. It's a, it's definitely influential on how we do horror movies and thrillers and all that. So changes uh, changes main characters midway. Also, that too which is weird. Yeah. Yeah, pulls uh, Game of Thrones before Game of Thrones was even created. <laughs> yeah, so. they just let <laughs> let somebody go in the middle of the movie. That's you're yeah. following that shot of yeah. the cop. Sorry to derail this once again, but the shot of the cop when he they, when she gets pulled over, God, the tension in that scene, man. Mm. It's like yeah. the cop no, is so weird. It's, it's like before yeah. any kind of effects or anything. It's it's just oh, they knew how to do it, man. Yeah, Hitchcock was awesome with that. Yeah. And he sort of created the template for the James Bond movies. I think he was even offered at one point. I have another book on, uh, like, what the very... There's a ton of stories in terms of what it took just to get James Bond on the screen. And some huh. of it involved talking to Hitchcock and everything. So, wow, that's anyway, cool. that's, that's not what this podcast is about. But in many ways, uh, Bond and Batman have more similarities than we would think. At first, I was just like, yeah, it's mostly the gadgets, but there's a lot deeper connections there. Uh, Obviously, Batman came first in 1939. Bond came out in 1953. However, I have a whole list here of the different uh, similar, uh, all the different similarities. So, (laughs) one of those is both men come from a rich aristocratic family. Bond's family even has a crest. Uh, The world is not enough. 
which is the name of one of the Pierce Brosnan Bond movies. That's uh, interesting. I saw that in the yeah. theater, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, both men are or- orphaned at a young age, having lost their parents at the same time. Uh, both of them, and one I in did not Bond's know case, Bond was orphaned. Yeah, in Bond's case, they were killed in a climbing accident. I don't know if anybody, you know, along the way was just like they were actually assassinated. But it seems like that was more of a an accident than you know a formal assassination because they weren't spies or anything they were just rich people right uh so both are often seen dressed in slick suits and tuxedos of course both men skilled in hand-to-hand combat both of course use gadgets and drive fast cars with gadgets in them uh they're both somewhat known for being cold-hearted aloof and barely emotional uh both (laughs) in terms of the films we have similar tropes so both tend to have errors that range from dark and realistic like the Daniel Craig era to being silly and over the top like the Pierce Brosnan era or the Roger Moore era or in Batman's case obviously Adam West or the Joel Schumacher stuff yeah that's true Um, both have basically a different love interest in every movie including ones who get killed off Uh, both have a rogues gallery with memorable over the top villains that have some kind of gimmick or disfigurement uh, they also are some of the rare franchises where we as audiences are okay with recasting the main actor over and over again, uh, which we don't really see with Marvel Studios stuff as much because everyone's just like, nobody can replace RDJ as as Tony Stark. Yeah. Uh, or even with Indiana Jones, you know, people are just like, eh, Indiana Jones is Harrison Ford. We don't want to see Chris Pratt is what a lot of people are saying. So. Yeah, Chris Pratt is, not to be too political, but I think, you know, in these political <laughs> times, he just, just, well, he made some people really happy and some others not so happy. So there yeah, you go. Yeah. There that is. Yeah. And then also, in many ways, like Batman, fans tend to regard the best Bond movies to be the ones that are the truest to the source material, similar to Batman, uh, specifically going back to the original. So people are just like, go back to the original Bob Kane, Bill Finger run for how Batman, you know, the tone of how Batman's supposed to be. Just like a lot of people are like, go back to the original Ian Fleming novels that are more realistic, spy shit, more Bond being sort of tortured either physically or emotionally. Uh, Those tend to do better than the -the over-the-top superhero, more action-y type of versions of Bond or Batman. So those are interesting. And uh, so those are the character ones, but there's a whole other history here that... Uh, I unpacked that a majority of this episode is going to be on where there's sort of weird other connections. So our first big Batman-James Bond connection dates all the way back to 1943, which sounds weird because James Bond wasn't created until 1953, but I'll explain. (laughs) So uh, I say 1943 because that's when Batman first arrived in live action in the serial the 1943 serial. Uh, He was played by an actor named Lewis Wilson. He was only 23 years old. when he played Batman. Oh, wow. So when people are just like, Robert Pattinson, the youngest actor to play Batman, I'm like, eh, no. <laughs> Robert Pattinson's like 30-something. This dude was in his 20s. 23, so, huh? Wow. He was 23. He was already married and with a kid at that time. Well, that Different was no- times. normal at that time, man. <laughs> yeah, sure. exactly. My dad, my dad was married at 23. I don't... I, I look back at me at 23, I'm like, there's no way in hell I would have had a lasting Oh, marriage. I was basically 15. <laughs> yeah. Mentally. Yeah. 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 So basically, he was married to a woman named Dana Natal, uh, or Natal, but her name was Dana, and together they had a son named Michael G. Wilson, born basically one year before his father became Batman. So Michael, his son, was born in 1942. 
Uh, years later, Lewis and Dana had a divorce. So Batman gets a divorce here. Uh, but she would later go on and remarry. And she would marry a big producer named Albert Broccoli, making Michael his stepson. Uh, okay. So Brock, this producer, Albert Broccoli, is the major... He's the, basically the Michael Uslin of James Bond. He's the producer who starts the James Bond franchise wow, in 1962. Wow, so that's a deep-cut connection. Yeah, and Michael himself would go on to take over as producer when his father dies. He co-writes five of the James Bond films, and his name is still one of the major producers on the James Bond franchise to this day. So in the credits, when you see that the Bond film is being produced by Michael G. Wilson, they are being produced by the son of the first Batman. Okay. So that's the first that's connection insane. dating... Yeah, dating way back even before Bond even existed. It's weird that they got a divorce at that time, too. That was... Uh, were they in California, yeah. those progressives? Probably, you know. Yeah, because that was <laughs> it's almost unheard of at that... I, you know, in the 40s, especially in, in the South, I, I think, mm-hmm. to get divorced. People just, you know, became raging alcoholics and hit their wives. I mean, he was an actor. Yeah, they were both actors, so I'm pretty sure that they were... Yeah, and then she goes on to meet another producer. I'm pretty sure everybody's in L.A. during yeah. this time. Oh, yeah, that's, so, that's true. That's true. You know. Uh, so 1962 is when Albert Broccoli starts the Bond franchise, and Sean Connery, of course, has his debut. He's the first James Bond, official James Bond in live action, uh, yeah. in the movie Dr. No, and that his movies create a cultural phenomenon, and we get these parodies of James Bond. Uh, one of these parodies is for a is for Nesley Quick. Remember Nesley Quick, the chocolate milk with the yeah. rabbit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before the rabbit, though, in the '60s, they had a character named Captain Q. Q for Quick, of course, who <laughs> would be sort of this James Bond type character who would advertise, you know, drinking chocolate milk, milk while fighting different villains, or just like curse you, Captain Q, and everything. And the actor who played Captain Q, of course, you might see where I'm going with this is Adam West. What? Yeah. So, holy shit, man. These, this is wild. <laughs> we might have so, to, uh, in a year or so, kind of uh, do this again for a public episode. Yeah, yeah. A year and a half. This is, this is, too, <laughs> this is too good. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I was thinking about that, too, because I was, I was laying out all the notes. I'm like, oh, man, this is so much that, you know, you guys behind the paywall are getting a real treat here. So Adam West, due to his role as Captain Q, gets contacted by Dozier saying, hey, you want to audition for Batman? So it's because of him playing this James Bond type character that he gets the chance to audition. And he ends up, of course, beating out uh, other actors, including Lyle Wagoner, who I mentioned in our Wonder Woman 84 deep dive, because Lyle Wagoner would go on to play Steve Trevor in the Linda Carter series. And, uh, of right. course, Christopher Paloha, who was raped in Wonder Woman 1984, <laughs> was cast based off of his resemblance. I can't let that go. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it looks like people already are seeing this Batman-Bond connection before even Adam West debuts. Because in 1966, in the 60s, there were all these Filipino fan films of Batman, weirdly yeah. enough. Yeah, I'd like to, uh, maybe for the main episode for... Well, deep, yeah. That would be, uh, you know, those seem wild, man. That'd be cool. One of those is named James Batman, <laughs> and it has a Filipino comedian named Dolphy play both James Bond and Batman, 
and apparently Robin is in it too. And I'll have you read the description here of what oh. it's about. Apparently, it's not very good, but, I mean, it's a fan film in the 60s. What were you expecting? Yeah, what do you want? Come on. <laughs> These guys in the Philippines are fucking living their dreams out here, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An evil organization called The Claw has threatened nuclear annihilation on the rest of the world unless all countries submit to its rule within five days. Presenting a united front, an alliance of countries tap James Bond and Batman and Robin to stop the threat. However, both Bond and Batman play brinkmanship with each other. As the hour to doomsday winds down, the heroes are eventually forced to work together. Little do the protagonists know that the real enemy is closer than they think. Are you so, listening, HBO Max? <laughs> Decades before Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, you get Batman versus James Bond in the 60s. These Filipino fan, make, fan filmmakers are creating their own cinematic universe crossovers way before we even had that. So it really ahead of their time. I'm sure they're not great, but still, like it's... It's the effort it's something. that's put in. It's something, yeah. man. Come on. So that's, that's awesome. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. So I around nineteen, yeah, no, that's great. Around uh, okay, so nineteen sixty-seven, Sean Connery is like, I'm done with this role. He decides to stop and plays James Bond in You Only Live Twice, uh, which has, which introduces the face of Ernest Blofeld, who is bald with the scar across his eye and has the white cat, which creates the Doctor Evil persona later on. Yes. But that's based off of. Uh, Blofeld in that but at this point they're just like well shit now we have to recast James Bond <laughs> and the actor yeah. who signs up is an Australian model named George Lazenby uh, who plays the role in the movie Honor Majesty's Secret Service in he 1969. He only had one right? I do know yep. this This uh, he did, yeah. and I believe this is Christopher Nolan's favorite James Bond movie. That's so weird. Is it, uh, is it because good at all? It is, I mean, I haven't seen it in years, but it's one of the few ones where you see the human side of him and he falls in love and he gets married. Oh. Uh, and it's oh, the, yeah. it feels like there's more emotional stakes to it. And considering the fact that Lazenby hadn't been in any acting role beforehand, he's actually pretty good in the role. Okay, uh, that's it. cool. Uh, he faces off against uh, Ernst Blofeld, except they recast Blofeld as well. He's being played by Telly Savalas who might sound familiar because I said yeah. Telly Savalas nearly got a cameo in Superman the movie as Kojak, saying, yeah. who loves you, baby? But more importantly, Telly Savalas, uh, in his performance with Blofeld, mostly is the model for Bruce Timm's Lex Luthor in right. Superman the Animated Series in the DC Animated Universe. George Lazenby is also the only James Bond who would become part of the Batman franchise. He was a voice. He was voiced a villain in Batman Beyond. Uh, James Bond himself was the leader of the Royal Flush Gang in three episodes of Batman Beyond, Dead Man's Hand, Once Burned, and King's Ransom. So okay. he would go on to become a Batman villain, and he's also the only Bond to be part of the Superman franchise at the same time, this time in live action as Jor-El in the 1990s Superboy show. Where they really? Gave him yeah, so James Bond is Jor-El, and we get an Australian in the role before Russell Crowe. <laughs> so wow. Okay. He's got he's got a white wig and a costume made to make him look like Marlon Brando. But I think the Salkines were producing that show too, so that's probably why they have similar imagery. Oh, uh, that's cool. Lazenby does Honor Majesty Secret Service, and he foolishly decides this mo this franchise isn't going anywhere, so I'm going to move on to other things. <laughs> and dummy, uh, he 
he basically is up for a role in the, in the early 70s. He's trying to find roles, and he's like, hey, Bruce Lee wants to work with you. And he's like, that's awesome. And he's like, okay, well, after this movie, Enter the Dragon comes out and, and Game of Death, Lee's going to be ready for the movie. And so Lasby, uh, you know, schedules a lunch with Bruce Lee, and then news hits that Bruce Lee dies. So, oh, man. I think that I, was, that was huge, in the Bruce yeah. Lee book I read. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a huge shame. But, I mean, Lesson B seems to have gotten, as you, as I said, he became a Batman Beyond villain and Jor-El. He seems to be doing okay. Right. But that leaves the James Bond producers. We got to find a new Bond because we already lost Connery and we lost Lesson B. So we need a new Bond. And Albert Broccoli's like, hey, let's call Batman. So they offer James Bond to Adam West around 1969, 1970 or so. Okay. At this point, the Batman show's already done, so he would be available. But, and I applaud Adam West for doing this, He Adam West was like, I can't see an American play this role. This <laughs> is such a British role. Like, a, a Brit should play James Bond. Australian dude notwithstanding. Like, it's, that's, that's closer to Bond than me, is probably what he was thinking yeah, at the time. Yeah, that's... So, uh, Maybe it might have been a mistake on his part, but I mean, I understand. And now we have British people playing Batman, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but we've never really had an American play James Bond, and I'm sure there would be a big dispute about that, too. On that. Well, there's so. supposedly a quite the shakeup, as it were, with a new one that's been delayed because of COVID. Yeah. So, I mean, that, the, we'll see. The, the rumor is the black woman becomes Bond. Yeah, well, I mean, she apparently she's 007. 007. I mean, she, yeah, she becomes she's 007, the 007. The same. Yeah, she becomes 007. And, well, she's also British, so. Yeah, they just. Uh, she dude, would still fulfill that quotient. I, I, you know, I don't know for sure. I was not there, but I, from what I hear, like, the Harry Potter movies, they wouldn't hire anybody that wasn't British. You had, like, they, you know, for, for some of their productions, they can be quite, they kind of, like, you know, close the doors. They want to make it an all-British production. Yeah, so I can see that. But anyway, they end up saying, fuck it, let's give him more money, and they bring Sean Connery back for one more go as James Bond in the next movie, Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, In Diamonds Are Forever, the Bond girl, Tiffany Case, is played by an actress named Jill St. John. Jill St. John was in the pilot for the 1966 Batman show. She played the Riddler's henchwoman, Molly. Uh, in High Diddle Riddle and Smack in the Middle. <laughs> Those are the names of the episodes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's the one. You know that famous image of Adam West doing the Patuzzi? Yeah. He's doing that for her. Oh, He's doing shit. that for Jill St. John, yeah, who would become wow. a Bond girl. So the so, connections are even deeper. This is Yes. <laughs> so she also disguises herself as Robin at one point and is one of the few characters to die in the 1960s series. So... That is, uh, she's a significant role in the Batman 66 fandom. Uh, Another significant thing is that the writer for Diamonds Are Forever is none other than Tom Mankiewicz, who we talked about extensively in Superman the movie. He would go on to write two other Bond films next for the next Bond actor, Roger Moore, with Live and Let Die and The Man of the Golden Gun. He would do uncredited work on the other two Bond films after that, The Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker, and then, of course, would go on in the 70s to write Superman the movie, Superman 2, and then the unmade The Batman script from the early 80s that we reviewed in the main show uh, back when we sort of started doing superhero stuff you should know type stuff. Right. Uh, in 1971, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams create Ra's al Ghul. 
And while many believe Roz is a Bond villain, uh, Denny O'Neill actually said that he wasn't conscious of the similarities between Roz and other Bond villains when he was making it, yeah. when he was creating the character. So that's kind of been debunked. However, there is a similarity to Blofeld in the fact that both he and Roz are in charge of a vast terrorist organization. They have secret hideouts. Uh, you know, basically he draws off those tropes. Roz does. Um, Blofeld hides out in the mountains in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, just like Roz will. Um, and then, of course, Talia is an obvious Bond girl type in sort of being this, uh, you know, foreign girl who's also deadly at the same time. Those sorts of things. So those sorts of tropes. And uh, later on, when we get to the 80s, that's when Michael Uslan is trying to make the first Batman movie. Right. Right. One of the obvious influences is that he wants to turn this into a James Bond-type franchise. So who does he naturally go to? The people who made James Bond. So he tries to get screenwriter Richard Maybaum to write the script. Richard Maybaum wrote nearly all of the James Bond movies from 1962 to 1989. That's how involved wow. this dude was. He had a steady job. He, he didn't contribute to like three of the movies uh, in between before he died. So he got a lot going on. They also tried to get, uh, Uslan also tried to get director Guy Hamilton, who you guys might remember was the one who almost directed Superman the movie until Marlon Brando's, you know, obscenity stuff uh, oh, yeah. fucked that up for him. Uh, but he had directed four of the James Bond movies, and he was sort of consulted for this. But uh, I guess it didn't work out with Richard Maybaum or Guy Hamilton, and so Uslan went on to the next James Bond writer, who would end up being, of course, Tom Mankiewicz. <laughs> so Tom Mankiewicz wrote yeah. that script that we that we covered. In that script, Silver St. Cloud is introduced to Bruce Wayne where he notices her sort of emerging in a bikini out of a swimming pool. Yeah. It's a little Fast Times at Richmond High, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. uh, that, that's what it was. But the influence, of course, wasn't Fast Times at Richmond High. The deliberate influence was the introduction of the first James Bond girl, Honey Ryder, played by Ursula Andress, who was first seen by Bond emerging in a bikini from the beach. Okay. So there was already a Bond influence on that. Uh, I wonder if see. Matt Reeves will have a Bond influence. I feel like it's going to be Batman the Animated Series, more or less. Like, mm -hmm. But, you know what I mean? Cause Who knows? Tomlin yeah. is younger than us, and I don't know. I just kind of feel like it will, uh, you know, I think we're going to see uh, uh, the the Batman of our of our generation. Be I would hope so, too, yeah. Yeah. So, that's cool. 1983, Sean Connery returns to James Bond for the last time in, in a... This is an unofficial production due to a lot of complicated rights issues that I can't really get into here. But he <laughs> stars, while Roger Moore is playing James Bond, Sean Connery becomes part of this unofficial James Bond movie that comes out at the same time. It's Bond versus Bond in the box office. Uh, him versus Roger Moore. And this movie is called Never Say Never Again. And there's a few Batman connections in this too. The script is written by Lorenzo Semple Jr., Lorenzo Semple Jr. was the screenwriter for the 1966 Batman movie, as well as the first four episodes of the 66 show. This is insane, man. Yeah. So they're connected. This, they're basically yeah. brothers. Batman Pretty is much. the American Bond. <laughs> That's really what I'm getting out of this. Right. Though Batman came first, so I guess Bond is the British Batman. That's true. Uh, bon yeah. Batman did come first. <laughs> yeah. I suck it, British people. <laughs> yes. Uh, the Bond's girl in Never Say Never Again is Domino played by Kim Basinger. Kim Basinger, I think, is the only one to be both a Bond girl and a Batman girl. 
Wow. Uh, okay. Well, other than Jill St. John, but in terms of just movies, we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. But in a lot of James Bond movies, there's uh, there's a Bond girl who's like his main love interest, and then there's like an evil Bond girl who works for the villains. And that evil Bond girl was played by Barbara Carrera in Never Say Never Again. If that name sounds familiar, she is one of the actresses who Bob Kane considered to be a quote-unquote 10-plus actress for Catwoman. <laughs> Wow. When he wrote his treatment, and he that's probably because he saw Never Say Never Again, and you know got a big boner for it. Who those knows? Are, those are the movies that. that <laughs> <laughs> I got a big, big Bob Kane boner over here. Yeah, yeah. What you gonna so. do about it? <laughs> Explode when defeated presents something really neat and full of meat. Those children aren't going to protect themselves in a brand new podcast series about everyone's favorite giant reptile. Godzilla? No, we already did that one. Rodan? No, nope, uh, we did that one too. Gorgo? Gamera. We're talking about Gamera. From turtles to medieval samurai golems on our new series, Demolition Die. Only on the HyperX Podcast Network. <laughs> Ellen, in 15 seconds, what is Nice Games Club? It's our game dev podcast. Steven, help! Game mechanics, accessibility, art and animation, level design, prototyping. Everything that goes into making video games. How's that, Mark? Nice. Listen to Nice Games Club wherever you get your podcasts or at nicegames.club. Lord have mercy, y'all. Do you like hounds? Do you enjoy pooches? Do you find yourself enjoying time spent with that of canines? Talking about dogs, y'all. As you might have heard, Superhero Stuff You Should Know has now teamed up with BarkBox. For every month, you get a box for your special canine. Pooches! Or hounds. That's right, one free extra month if you go to BarkBox.com slash SuperheroStuffPod. Follow the link and you'll get a free extra month valued at $35 and valid for all multi-length plans. So get the BarkBox for your hound, for your pooch, for your canine. Your doggo will thank you. Make room for huge plays with the HyperX Alloy Origin 65 Mechanical Gaming Keyboard and the Pulsefire Haste Wireless Mouse. The Alloy Origin 65 has a functionally compact form factor, keeping the arrow keys without the number pad and function keys. The Pulsefire Haste is the lightest wireless mouse from HyperX, featuring a robust connection, up to 100 hours of battery life, and is even water resistant. The Alloy Origin 65 and Pulse Fire Haste Wireless. Keep your setup clean and clutter free with the Alloy Origin 65 mechanical keyboard and the Pulse Fire Haste Wireless Mount. Support for superhero stuff you should know is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below the waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code Johnson's Ballsack. Yes, that's back for our longtime listeners. Johnson's Ballsack at manscaped.com. If my math is correct, you'll be serving 8 million balls. That's right. Now listen up, everyone. If you want the Bruce Wayne lifestyle, the billionaire playboy lifestyle, then you've got to shave. And we're not talking about your face. We're talking nose hair, armpit hair, pubic hair. When Bruce Wayne goes out with Silver St. Cloud, he doesn't have nose hair sticking out of his nostrils. 
when he's working out in the cave. He doesn't have armpit hair sticking out under his sleeves. And after he's gone down on Catwoman, because yes, that's canon, and she's going down on him, Bruce doesn't have a huge forest of pubic hair to get in her teeth. He manscapes. And if you want to be like Bruce Wayne, then get manscaped through us. I've personally been using Manscaped for years before they sent us these products for the podcast, and I know from experience that they're the ones I trust to reduce nicks and keep everything groomed down there. Now the Performance Package 4.0 by Manscaped has arrived, and oh man, is it a game changer. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, Crop Preserver ball deodorant, Crop Reviver toner, Performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold your goodies. First off, the Lawnmower 4.0. This trimmer is the future of grooming, and dare I say, the greatest ball trimmer ever. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. Now, the Lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof and also has a 400K LED spotlight if you need a more precise shave or if you're shaving in the darkest pits of the Batcave. Because this trimmer is waterproof, you can say goodbye to the mess on the bathroom floor. You thought that was good, but want to take your grooming game even further to the next level? The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate nose holes. Their Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner will change the way you approach your hygiene routine. Trust me when I say, fellas, your balls will thank you. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0. The Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort and boxers to another level. It's time to take care of yourself, so go to manscaped.com. And get 20% off and free shipping with the code Johnson's Ballsack. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use our code Johnson's Ballsack. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Now back to the show. Uh, so as we all know, eventually Tim Burton signs on to do the Batman movie and Sam Hamm writes the script. And as I've mentioned in a previous Patreon, one of the actors they consider to play Batman is future James Bond, Pierce Brosnan. Brosnan at this time is he he's not Bond yet. Who played part, who played him before just before Pierce Brosnan? Timothy Dalton, who's oh. not on Doom Patrol right now. He's now Niles Calder on oh, Doom Patrol. Yeah. Okay. So this is part of my theory, uh, and yeah. it, it goes back to my Star Wars thing too. Um, I know um, you know you're different from me in this regard because you've been watching Bond forever, but um, mm-hmm. the 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 window in which I was a kid. Pretty much, I posted about this on Facebook back in the day. Um, yeah. That 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 break in between Dalton and Brosnan was the biggest break in between Bond films. Yep. Uh, since Inception, uh, and also that's exactly when I was growing up. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then being, no, I can see that. And then on top of that, um, you know, I gr- I was born in '84. So I had missed the last Star Wars movie, and by the time Star Wars ramped up again for the re-release in '97, I was already like 13. 
So I I have no like I didn't I had not, I had not I never seen Star Wars until mm-hmm. that point. So I just didn't have any like nostalgia for it so much, you know? So those two things I it just grew up in like this weird window where there was no Bond, no Star Wars, not much. At that time, you would see Star Wars video games maybe. Um mm-hmm. And books, of course, but I didn't read the books. Uh, you know, I, I, it was just like uh, you had to really go out of your way for those two things, and and that mm-hmm. was the exact time period I was a kid. So yeah. I just missed. I missed it. Yeah, it's it's that's the big Bond hiatus between Timothy Dalton in 1989. Funny enough, around the same time that Batman 89 came out, uh, to Pierce Brosnan in 1995 of Goldeneye. Uh, for me, when Goldeneye was coming out, people were just like, James Bond is back. And I was like, who the hell is James Bond? Yeah, I'm a kid. And then suddenly, suddenly, like on VHS, they're just like, here are all the Sean Connery movies. And then my parents get them for me. And then I just end up watching all of them. I'm like, okay, now I get who this guy, right, right, you know, right, what this right. franchise is supposed to be. So that's, that's how I got into it when I was growing up. And funny enough, like License to Kill kind of killed the franchise for a little bit. Not because it was the Batman and Robin of the James Bond franchise. We'll go into which one that was, but because it was almost too dark at the time for 1989. It was nearly rated R. A guy's Damn. head a guy's head literally explodes, another character gets fed to the sharks, literally. I wanna um, I wanna see this one now. I wanna see this Benicio, one and the Lazami one, because it's you said it's more personal. Maybe yeah, I'll finally like yeah. Bond more. Yeah. Uh Benicio del Toro is in it. Okay. Uh, in cool. one of his very early roles as a henchman. Uh, and he gets a very violent send off, <laughs> so nice. um, it's it's considered to be one of the more violent Bond movies, and people just weren't prepared for it at the time. I think today people would eat it up. That guy you know? was just ill used in Star Wars. I'd like to see him come back as some, oh yeah, some, yeah somebody yeah. else. Like I, I, yeah. he has such screen presence, and he's I don't know. Anyway, it's another yeah. story. Yeah. Like if he came back in Rogue One or something. I mean, not Rogue One, uh, Mandalorian or something like that. Yeah, in some capacity, that would be. He cool. was so misused. Yeah, yeah. he was so misused. Because that guy just oozes yeah. screen presence, man. Yeah, he would have been great as a an actual character. An actual <laughs> as somebody was real, <laughs> <laughs> somebody who is actually written well. Yeah, I, I think so too. Him rather than a plot device to just betray everybody. And he just has that that nervous tick or whatever. It's like, okay, that's cool, but I don't know. Yeah, it's just something wasn't enough about that, was it? Yeah, no, 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 not at all. Uh, Dalton is great in License License to Kill was the movie in 89. It's also one of the few where it's like more personal because he's out. It's one where it's not a mission. It's not one where there's like, come in, 007. You know, there's this mysterious thing for you to investigate over in Ecuador. No, it's more of just like, yeah, fuck you, uh, British Secret Service. I'm going to do my own thing because my friend was nearly killed and I'm going to get my revenge. And Em's like, well, you're also fired. Your license to kill has been revoked, and Bond just doesn't care because wow. uh, he's out for vengeance. So a lot of good shit in it. It's an underrated thing. But anyway, back to around this time, nineteen in the 1980s or so, Pierce Brosnan is more of a TV star uh, at this time. He's in a show called Remington Steel, and it's because of Remington Steel that he's not able to get the role of James Bond. He's up for it, uh, but he loses out to Timothy Dalton right now because of the fact that his TV schedule won't allow it. Uh, okay. So, funny enough, you would it, it would end, it's one of those things where just like eh, it paid off because he ended up getting, you know, he ended up getting bigger Bond movies in the '90s, right? And I also think he would have been too young for it at that time. Yeah. So that's people my love Goldeneye. I barely remember it, but I had that's mm-hmm. when I started seeing them because that's when I was a kid. Yeah. And this one was brought back when I was you know I was 
Yeah. When, when was the last Timothy Dalton one? What year do you know? 89. Yeah, I was, you know, five. I was just not seeing that. So <laughs> Yeah, you weren't going to go to the theater to see a guy getting eaten by sharks. Although you know, my so. dad <laughs> did take me to see fucking Terminator 2 in the theater. <laughs> Dude, I was like six or seven, man. I feel like that's a different level of violence, though. <laughs> Dude, there's a lot. Honestly, it didn't fuck me up that much, but I will say, the honestly, I, the only thing that fucked me up from T2 was the uh, was the playground scene because I'm a kid seeing oh yeah I can see that yeah. a pl- playground you know that's mm-hmm. something four kids get like nuked uh, that was the that was the only thing that messed me up really the rest I was like yeah this is awesome <laughs> gotcha <laughs> oh man uh, let's see Brosnan turns down the role of Batman even during this time because he just can't take the character seriously enough and because again during this time it was Adam West everybody thought it was Adam West and he didn't silly. realize what he, he was turning silly, yeah right? he doesn't realize what he's turning down until he actually sees the movie and he's like well that's too bad but I mean you know he became James Bond he's fine and yeah. he would also end up working with Tim Burton in Mars Attacks later so they probably he was probably cast in Mars Attacks because of the fact that he met with Tim Burton in the 80s for Batman I like that so. look that vintage sci-fi look but Mars Attacks just I don't know it didn't really look, I only saw it, it once it wasn't like super awesome I feel like yeah 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 uh, let's see funnier enough around the same time 1987 Timothy Dalton debuts as James Bond in the first of two movies where he's Bond uh, The Living Daylight and I guess around this time DC Comics takes notice and decides to do a little bit of a tie-in so on the cover of Justice League International number 16 Bruce Wayne is on the cover in a tuxedo and slicked back hair looking very much like Timothy Dalton's Bond. He's got Justice League members Fire and Big Barda, these are the two other female mm-hmm. uh, members of Justice League, in civilian gear around him, very, looking very much like a still from the James Bond uh, movies. And the cover, drawn by Kevin Maguire, has the caption, His name is Wayne, Bruce Wayne. <laughs> so, <laughs> obvious parody there of that, but uh, that's another Batman-Bruce Wayne connection that's in cool. the comics. Um, I enjoy it. When Burton ends up shooting Batman, he shoots it in London at Pinewood Studios, which is the same shooting location for a majority of the James Bond movies. In fact, Pinewood has been used so much that they have a stage specifically named the the, the 007 stage over in Pinewood. I wouldn't doubt it. They shoot everything there, all the yeah. cool shit. I think even mm-hmm. the Batman's probably got some shoot shots there. I'm not, I think, probably, yeah. I think Justice League was shot on Pinewood. Uh... Maybe, yeah, potentially. But I, they definitely used Pinewood and the 007 stage for Batman. The 007 stage is used for the Batcave in 89. So well, God that's damn. cool. Uh, and then I know that there's probably a lot of behind-the-scenes people who I haven't, you know, probably a bunch of stuntmen I've left out, a lot of other people. But I just wanted to do a quick thing on somebody who is behind the scenes who was a major force in these franchises, and that is a visual effects designer named Derek Meddings. Uh, Derek Mettings worked on one, two, three, four, five, six of the Bond movies from Roger Moore's era through Pierce Brosnan. So he was in it a lot. You know, Roger Moore started in the 70s. Pierce Brosnan was in the 90s. Right. Uh, Mettings works on 1989 Batman. He also works on Superman the movie, Superman 2, Superman 3, and Supergirl. <laughs> so, Superman uh, 4, huh? He's Yeah, he's just like, this is not for me. Yeah. Um, uh, tragically, he died of colorectal cancer in 1995, and the Bond movie Goldeneye is dedicated to his memory in the credits. Uh, 
Wow. Uh, but he was a major part of visual effects. Uh, he was awarded a special achievement award for uh, effects by, you know, the Academy for Superman the movie. Shared the Michael Balkin Award. I don't know how to pronounce that. Of the British, of BAFTA, basically, for Superman the movie. Also nominated for the 1980 uh, Best Visual Effects Oscar for his work on the Bond movie Moonraker. Uh, nominated for a BAFTA for Batman 89. And then nominated for a BAFTA again for GoldenEye posthumously after his death. So, major force in everything. Uh, let's see. And then, as we all know, the movie soundtrack by for 89 was done by Prince. However, Prince has one other artist on the soundtrack who not a lot of people talk about. He does a love song duet that's not in the movie called The Arms of Orion with a singer named Sheena Easton. And Sheena Easton's other big hit was the James Bond song for Your Eyes Only. So that's another Jeez, I have heard another her connection. name before. Uh, yeah. Man, going, like the Prince soundtrack, like... <laughs> by, the, by the time I was really enjoying Batman 89 on VHS, mm-hmm. the Prince train had rolled out of the station. And oh, yeah. yeah. The, you, know, when, you, know, you know how it is. Like When we were kids watching that, it was just like, this song's good, but th- who, <laughs> is, dated, who yeah. is this? <laughs> like, yeah. You know Why is I mean? he so big? Yeah. You, yeah, you can tell. You could sort of tell, like, okay, this guy used to be big. Now, mm-hmm. now he's not, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's. I do want to do a Patreon deep dive on the Prince soundtrack because each song is supposed to come from a different character, and there's certain songs that he did that aren't on the soundtrack. Um, I think including, it's insane how yeah. deep he thinks his music is. Like, yeah, I, it's no. cool. I like. I mean, I kind of like that about him, but it is a little bit pretentious. I think. Oh yeah, and the artist formerly known as Prince. It's just like, dude, <laughs> you're not making like. I don't know. Is it too biased for me to say? Like, it's not like classical music or something. You're making pop, man. Yeah, I know. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't. I just don't see it at the same level or something. Maybe no, I should. No. Maybe I should. Maybe I'm wrong, Prince. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, he's not here to defend himself anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh well. Uh, let's see. We cut to 1992 of Batman Returns, where Christopher Walken becomes the first and only bo- only actor so far to play a Bond villain and a Batman villain. Mm-hmm, right. Christopher Walken was a Bond villain in A View to a Kill in the 80s, playing another corrupt billionaire named Max. He was Max Shrek in Batman wow. <laughs> Returns. He's wow. Max Zorin uh, a decade earlier in A View to a Kill. Uh, funny enough, Max Shrek is not from the Batman comics, and Max Zorin does not come from the original Ian Fleming source material <laughs> either. So they just created their own corrupt billionaire named Max villain for Christopher Walken in both He's instances. He's non-canon Maxes. Yeah, played by Walkens. Maybe they can just add one more Max to like the MCU or something for him to play uh, these days. But uh, the, another actor who shows up in Batman Returns is Vincent Schiavelli. He's kind of a cult actor, but he played the organ grinder in the Red Triangle Circus, and he would later become the henchman Dr. Kaufman in the Pierce Brosnan James Bond movie Tomorrow Never Dies. Okay. Cut over to 2002, and the James Bond franchise has its own Batman and Robin (laughs) called Die Another Day. It is over the top. Pierce Brosnan's Bond has an invisible car. Uh, There's an Asian dude who gets plastic surgery to become a British dude. Like, it's... (laughs) It's, I probably saw it, in the it's theater. It's all over the place, yeah. Madonna has that song, right? And then there's yeah, Madonna a has fencing that song, yeah. in it or something. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, yes. Holly Berry 
Yeah, Halle Berry is the uh, Bond girl of this one, and of course, as we know, she would go on to play Catwoman, though not Selena Kyle, in uh, the 2004 Catwoman movie, uh, but didn't get to co-star with Batman, so she doesn't quite make it in terms of the list of girls who were Bond girls and Batman girls. Uh, let's see. Also, it features Madonna, as we said, and she almost played Harley Quinn for Batman Unchained, but they never made that, so that doesn't quite count. Right. Uh, so... Die Another Day has its own franchise-killing movie, and for a while, Bond is just kind of dead. Like, people are just like, this is stupid now. Like, most people get all the Pierce Brosnan movies mixed up, especially the last two on it, because it just got stupid. Uh, So, eventually, they're like, we don't know what to do. And that's when, in 2005, Chris Nolan's like, here's how you reboot a franchise. Here's Batman Begins, and this right. is where the term reboot first comes out. And that's also where we get the idea, as we've covered before, that Lucius Fox is the Q-type character to Bruce, you know, to Bruce Wayne. Right. Q being, uh, in the franchise, he's, the, for those who don't know Bond that well, he's basically the character who gives all the gadgets to Bond. Uh, the letter Q stands for Quartermaster for that. And oh, uh, he was played... Yeah, he was played by actor Desmond Llewellyn in the movie From Russia Wolf Love in 1963, all the way up to uh, The World Is Not Enough in 1999. So and that guy got, basically like, had a whole young thirst trap of a dude <laughs> for uh, Skyfall because they wanted to to invert that. Uh, I think, which I thought was smart because it's like he was an old guy for like a long time. Yeah. So they wanted to get uh, the, the, the young sense. girls. Yeah. So. To have something. <laughs> well, I guess Bond's always handsome anyway, but right, he's right. a little bit on the older side. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. you know it's a different vibe. But mm-hmm. I think, uh, even though I'm not a huge Bond fan, I do think Skyfall's my favorite. Skyfall's pretty good. I like Skyfall's yeah. definitely up there. It's got uh, a solid ending. Just that ending in the house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty cool to me. Um, yeah. Then the one after that just. What's the one that nobody Blow, likes that Blofeld one? again or something? <laughs> Christoph Waltz says Blofeld, which would be great casting, but it doesn't sound like that's the only Bond movie I haven't seen actually. Oh, it's 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 the only one I'm just like eh, I've seen I'm it. not super interested. I've yeah. seen it. It's okay. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. it's just not as good as Skyfall. It's really not. Yeah, yeah. They should have waited. They should have waited to like come up with something that could follow up on Skyfall because I really like Skyfall. I think Casino Royale might be my favorite. Quantum is. Eh, because Not of the good. writers, Not yeah, good. The, because of the writers' strike, yeah. uh, it has some great moments. Like there's some individual scenes in Quantum I really like, but the the rest of the movie could have been way better. Uh, let's see. So obviously Lucius Fox is the Q type character, and this becomes very influential throughout Batman history now because beforehand Lucius was just kind of a businessman dude who helped Bruce Wayne out, but he didn't know about Batman. He wasn't an inventor or anything, and now suddenly like every version of Lucius Fox after this is now in on the Batman activities and is making his gadgets for him through Wayne Tech. So, uh, let's see. Here's another fun fact. Apparently, according to the book, uh, this one book, Christian Bale was offered James Bond at some point. I wouldn't doubt Uh, it. In the book, Christian Bale, The Inside Story of the Darkest Batman, uh, it said that uh, the role was his for the asking. However, Bale apparently is not a big Bond fan. He was not excited about committing to that franchise that he felt was uh, too British, which is weird. <laughs> I guess he just wanted to be Americanized. Uh, he wow. felt that Bond represented, quote, every despicable stereotype about England and British actors and he fe- and <laughs> to top it off, when uh, in reference to Patrick Bateman in American Psycho, he said, quote, I've already played a serial killer. 
So, uh, that does bring up the big difference between Bond and Batman, with the obvious exception of the costume. Bond has no qualms about killing. In fact, he's that a killing machine. That is true. He has a license to kill. He, you know, he's described in the Fleming books as well as Judy Dench's M and Casino Royale as a quote-unquote blunt instrument sometimes for a queen and country, uh, and he devotes himself to that. But then, of course, there's in the books at least it's kind of more of a feeling of just like yeah, is there more to my humanity than this kind of feeling sometimes. So mm, yeah. Anyway, uh, let's see. So <laughs> Bale is out in terms of being up for. Bond. However, that doesn't mean that his franchise with Batman isn't influential at all. The James Bond producers look at Batman Begins and they're just like, wow, you know, we had, we also had our own Batman and Robin that was over the top and ridiculous. And these guys went back to the basics of the character and adapted the source material, grounded it in a realistic way, and went back to the origin story. And they also rebooted the franchise with a completely new continuity. Beforehand, all the James Bond movies could be seen as a continuous a loose continuous story there's very few connections but Casino uh, Royale is a total reboot right Casino Royale is the first time when they're just like yeah this is not in the same continuity now even though they still got Judy Dench's M she was already M in the in the Brosnan films but you know we can just ignore that and say that this is different this is also why some people have that theory that James Bond is just a code name uh, through People it, just I like don't to overthink this shit. Yeah, I don't personally like it because there's too many. There's too. If you actually look at the details in certain things, there's too many references that make it seem like if it's a code name, these guys have an awfully similar past. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's like there's references to the same shit. Yeah, yeah. So they just consider it soft reboots uh, on there. So they're like, let's just do the same thing. It's Bond begins. And let's go back to the original source material, like Batman Begins did, and adapt Casino Royale, which had never been adapted before. The first James Bond novel. I never really had thought about Batman Begins being the influence for Casino Royale at all. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it absolutely was because it's it was a similar tactic where they're just like, let's ground it in realism. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's reboot continuity. Uh, let's let's mine the source material and be more true to what was there before. And Casino Royale is basically a very well done combination of what's in the novel with the tropes that you would expect from the James Bond movies but also shocked a lot of people with the stuff they did adapt from the comic like that torture scene where Bond is naked and Mads Mikkelsen basically destroys his balls is in the book uh, that's been there since uh, the that's original the scene book where he's like, I see you have worked on your body Mr. Bond <laughs> yes I, uh, he said, I see you have taken good care of your body Yes. <laughs> Something like that. I'll never forget yes. that line. <laughs> never. <laughs> yes. I saw that once years ago, and I still remember that shit. <laughs> so, yeah. But one of the actors, this is not really a Batman connection that much, but another superhero, one of the actors to audition to play Bond, who gets beaten out by Daniel Craig, is young Henry Cavill. I wouldn't doubt it. That guy, so, yeah, Cavill, I'm... I, he said his brother's in the Royal Marines in Britain, and mm-hmm. he said that if he wasn't acting, he'd also be in the Royal Marines. Like I do, yeah. I've said this before on a Patreon. I haven't said it on a real, uh, you know, on a on a free episode yet. But not that he's like joining Parlor or anything. But I think <laughs> there's a little bit of conservatism to British conservatism to Catholic. British conservatism, yeah. Whatever, whatever Probably, that yeah. means, I don't know, but I do think it's. He, mm-hmm. I just get the vibe, and I do like Cavill a lot, but I just get that vibe, kinda. <laughs> Join me on British Parlor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's from uh, he's from Jersey <laughs> Island too, which is probably like. Mm, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just get that. I get that vibe, kinda, man. 
oh dude mm. i know this is like this is stalkery as hell kind of, not stalkery but like <laughs> you've been stalking cavill no but whenever whenever i was super into um you know man of steel and you know we talked about you know the man of steel episodes are coming up uh very soon mm-hmm. um just a little extra thing there i just thought of this i did like a google street view of jersey the, you know <laughs> and walked around just to just to see how Cavill grew up <laughs> dude who the Cavill, fuck if you're listening to this that's not creepy at all who the fuck am i man who the fuck am i i, I it's amazing I, I never knew like i never like looked up his fucking address or anything but i did I just wanted to see what Jersey was like and not mm-hmm. New Jersey because new there's obviously an old right, Jersey, yeah. right? This is Jersey Island, which is an island in between uh, Britain and France, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's close to Brittany, mm. I believe. Right. So it's he ha- he has an interesting uh, the way he grew up was uh, probably not the same as people in London. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd say so, yeah. but I he I think he would have been too young at the time, and I think right yeah. now he's probably too big now to be not physically big, but I mean like too big of a star to because he's already got Witcher. He's hopefully going to be coming back as Superman. Like I feel like he's too busy to be Bond. He might not, you know, he might be interested, but who knows scheduling wise. The guy but loves the I role, man, and I feel like he understands Superman at least enough, you know. Yeah, like Reeves yeah. did. Reeves, Reeve. Well, they both did, but you know what I mean. Chris Reeve, mm-hmm. you know. Like, I think Chris Reeve appreciated it more than George Reeves. George Reeves was kind of eh about it in the beginning, at least. That's true. He was uh, <laughs> drinking a lot. But, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Reeve and 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 Cavill just seem to really like just understand it. They like mm-hmm. it. They want to keep doing it. It's just a matter. Of just let let them do it, man. And JJ's yeah. JJ's on the case. I think. I think. Um, you know, Bad Robot is searching mm-hmm. for a way to make a movie and. Hopefully yeah. we can figure something out. We'll see. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, so after Casino Royale or so, around this time, Grant Morrison writes Batman issue number 664 where a character comments that uh, basically a bodyguard tells Bruce's love interest, quote, he says you're cool like James Bond because he like parachutes in to see her. And Bruce says, oh, I'm much cooler than he is. Wait, what movie Before was he this? Goes on, this is Grant Morrison, Batman oh. number 664. Oh, oh. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and together, they he skis with his love interest, Jezebel Jett, which also sounds like a Bond girl name. Um, and James yeah. Bond does a lot of skiing in a bunch of the movies. So he does that in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, Spy Who Loved Me, For Your Eyes Only, The World Is Not Enough. So, you um, ski? I've done it before. It's been a long time, but uh, I can do it. It's just not something that I do often. Man, so like growing up in Alabama and Georgia, it's just mm-hmm. like you gotta like the closest is South is North Carolina, mm-hmm. and it's like an eight hour drive. I mean, we could have flown, but my family didn't fly back then, mm-hmm. not really that much at all. And I just it just seems to like skiing just seems to be such an integral part to a lot of families, and it just just wasn't to us at all. Mm-hmm. I've been, you know, I've done it like three times, yeah. but not, I've been to not Mammoth. that much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but it's a big thing in the Bond franchise, and uh, Bruce can do it too. So, I thought it was kind of cool that Morrison did a little shout out to Bond in that issue. So, uh, Nolan continues the James Bond influence for the rest of his trilogy. 
So in and we noticed this in our episodes on it in the main show, but just to remind you guys, in The Dark Knight, Batman uses the real-life spy operation Skyhook to rescue him when yes. he abducts Lao in Hong Kong. This was actually seen on film first in the 1965 James Bond movie uh, Thunderball, oh my where God. he basically... That's the, that's how he gets rescued with the Bond girl Domino at the end of that movie. So that was likely an influence. Uh, and then The Dark Knight Rises was likely influenced by the Timothy Dalton movie I told you about, License to Kill, where he's out for revenge. In the opening scene, uh, they take the villain's plane hostage and they invert it, much like Bane does to the plane in the beginning of The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, also, somebody noted this, that uh, the world is not enough features a villain who is unable to feel pain and seems like he's the main villain but is actually secretly working for James Bond's love interest uh, who's the real one pulling the strings much like in The Dark Knight Rises Bane has a mask that gives him an anesthetic that makes him unable to feel pain and seems like he's the main villain but in reality he's working for Miranda Tate aka Talia who's actually the real one pulling the strings no so, one is a known Bond fan so this yeah is, uh, so he's uh, yeah, the world wow. is not enough was it influenced as well on The Dark Knight Rises, whether intentional or not. I, I feel like one coincidence is, is can be explained. Two is just like, uh, maybe. <laughs> like, it could be a case. I'm, I, I've never heard that. I didn't haven't heard a direct, uh, you know, reference saying, like, yeah, we definitely got it from these Bond movies. But, like, Skyhook is way too... Skyhook is literal in this case with The Dark Knight. Uh, the Dark Knight Rises ones are just kind of like, well, they do have the similarities, but I don't know necessarily if they've been formally referenced. You know, if Nolan said, like, yes, this comes from Bond. So, uh, anyway, just like how Batman Begins influenced Casino Royale, The Dark Knight influences Skyfall in 2012, as we've talked about. So, right. uh, we get stuff like Javier Bardem Silva wanting to be caught <laughs> and yeah. interrogated. Which started this whole trope around that time that I was getting sick of. Loki um, wanted to be caught in Avengers 1. <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch and Star Trek Into the Darkness. I'm just like, uh, <laughs> I it, was about best, that. it was best in Dark Knight. You guys are really milking this shit. Uh, so, At least um, Loki causes the Hulk in an enclosed environment. You know, I don't yeah, know. There was something yeah. cool about that, but yes, it was a trope. Mm. It was a trope at the time. Skyfall also is one of the rare Bond movies to blatantly bring up how Bond was raised as an orphan. It brings up how his parents were killed. We visit the place where they died uh, on there. And then he goes to his childhood home, which is a mansion, <laughs> being taken care of by Albert Finney's character, Kincaid, who's an old British dude uh, <laughs> who basically raised and trained James Bond. So that's we know right. who that's influenced by. And then at one point, they got to transport M away from the chaos. And guess what? There's a secret underground to this mansion <laughs> in Skyfall. So uh, that's, you know, a lot of people after Skyfall were just like, James Bond is Batman <laughs> after uh, yeah. after this. So it is pretty funny. Uh, that, But there's an, yeah, there's an obvious influence on uh, on uh, basically the Dark Knight on Skyfall. It turns into like survival Bond, like MacGyver Bond, you know? That's what I really, Kinda, yeah. that's what I really yeah. liked about that end scene there. Mm -hmm. Like, just like... I don't know, sh shooting a gun out of a car during a car chase. And that just happens in so much Bond shit. It's just like, eh, yeah. it's, you know, it's all right. It's not great. I've just seen it a million mm -hmm. times, you know, but I don't know. You know, I never watched a whole lot of MacGyver, so I guess that's, that shit's new to me. 
you know. But it's also kind of just like we're gonna, we're going to flip the Bond tropes on its head, you know, because it's just like I think Skyfall they were deliberately like, how many Bond movies have you seen where he infiltrates the villains' lair? Here, yeah, the villain like, infiltrates Bond's, you know, right. home. It's less sexy. <laughs> it's less sexy in a way because it's it's at like this. It's not in a mansion. It's not. I mean, it's in a big house, I guess, but it's kind of run down, though, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the, I mean? you know, they flipped a lot of Bond tropes on his head in Skyfall. Like the technically, the Bond girl in that movie isn't any of the isn't any of the you know like Bernice Merlot's character. Uh, you know, the most attractive one in it is killed like f- you know after five minutes of screen time, which I didn't particularly care for. But like the main Bond girl of that movie is M. Is <laughs> Judy Dench? Like she's oh, the main right. female lead of that movie, which is you know very cool. I thought Monica um, Bellucci was in which one? Spectre. Oh yeah, she was Inspector. She's uh, uh, one of my. I favorites. forgot she was <laughs> in that too, but oldest, I also haven't seen oldest it. Oldest Bond girl, but I, you know, dude, fuck, that's Monica Bellucci. But it dude. works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, she's hot as so, hell. It still works. It still works. Uh, and of course, we get. Uh, I'd be remiss not to mention that Alfred Pennyworth has evolved over time to almost sort of be a retired James Bond type. He was that's first established. True. He was first established in the 1970s as a former operative along with Lucius Fox. Uh, so that kind of got expanded more and more as the years went by. Uh, when Jeff Johns and Gary Frank did Batman Earth One, they gave Alfred the beard, the white beard, and everybody commented, "Alfred looks like Sean Connery." So <laughs> there's that. Alfred's daughter Julia in the comics now is a secret agent herself, uh, and she also is a secret agent, or has had ties to being secret a, a secret agent in uh, CW's Batwoman show right now, where she's played by Christina Wolf. Uh, Are you watching the, that Batwoman show? I am actually. Is it yeah, good? A lot of people, a lot of people fuck on it, but uh, or shit on it, I should say, not fuck on it. Fuck on. I was like, oh, they, 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 they have a lot of. Se- <laughs> I thought it was just a lot of sex scenes. <laughs> no, I mean a lot of people shit on it is what I mean. Okay. Um, but like I, because I, I, at one point I stopped watching, but then they're just like, hey, we're bringing in, uh, we're bringing in Nocturna, we're bringing in. Mr. Zaz, and I'm like, okay, you know what? I want to see these interpretations of the villains. Yeah, yeah. So, um, they did bring in Bruce Wayne in a weird way. What? Uh, really? Well, Hush is in the comics. At one point, he does plastic surgery on himself to look like Bruce. Yeah. And that was their way to get Bruce Wayne in there, but without really ah. having Bruce Wayne in there. So they cast actor Warren Christie, who actually really does a great job. Like he seems like he would be a great pick for a Batman TV show on it but he's also playing like an evil Batman in it so he's not quite Bruce but like he, he's great as quote unquote not quite that's Bruce like, in uh, there you know that guy is like coming to set like fucking uh, he, he's he's dialed in you know it's like this is people gonna notice me as Bruce Wayne even though it's is it, even though it's evil Bruce Wayne it's yeah. just like I don't know I can just see as an actor like you never know where shit like that's gonna lead you know yeah yeah no he, he's 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 looks like Bruce Wayne more than a lot of the other actors, but part of it's also like it's the first time where I've seen a guy play Batman who I've never seen before. Because beforehand it's just right. like, all right, I've seen Ben Affleck before, I've seen Pattinson, you know, and fucking Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. <laughs> like, yeah. like I've seen these guys before, but this guy like came out of nowhere to me, and I'm like, this guy looks like Bruce Wayne. Do like, you see Tennant? He looks like. I haven't yet. Okay, Pattinson, I'm sure there's a Bond influence on that. Pattinson is great in it. He's my favorite part. Nice. Yeah, he's... That's a good sign. Uh, yeah, he's... Um, he plays kind of like a fucked up guy, sort of, but he's he's really, really likable. I mean, he's, yeah. I don't know. Like, a lot of he's definitely <laughs> past the Twilight years, for sure. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, of yeah. course, of course. Uh, but yeah, I thought Warren Christie was great in like his one episode as Hush uh, and stuff. But uh, you know, maybe one day they'll bring him in. But like, there's there's a part where he's in the Batcave. It's not really Bruce, but it, it's Hush as Bruce. But but still, it's just I'm I'm just like, oh, this fits. Like this looks like this looks like I'm down for a CW Batman. I know okay. again, a lot of people shit on the CW and stuff, but I'm just like, eh. I'm down to see it. I watch everything. So, you ever uh, watch, everything uh, Batman Black related. Lightning? I did, yeah. That show uh, was just heavy, man. It it yeah. Uh, they they go right into it. It's just I mean, I actually appreciated that cuz it was like way heavier than The Flash or something. But mm-hmm. so, but it actually got a little too heavy, maybe. I don't know, like people are getting paralyzed and shit left and I don't know, which and people get yeah. killed. Yeah. But it's um you know, like it, what I mean, I hope they'll use the right terminology here, but like an urban drama, if that's the mm-hmm. right terminology, like a, a lot of times those can be, you know, heavy for a reason, sadly enough, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I, I I did like that a lot, but I, I guess I got sidetracked with other things, but it was a cool show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the Just the, the opening scene was fantastic, yeah. you know, where you get stopped by the cops. And they're yes, like, okay, this yes. is you don't see this in the Flash. You don't see this in Arrow. You could only do it in the say. show. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I know I mentioned this off the air, but uh, as a quick tangent, I just randomly started listening to a Superman radio episode called uh, or arc called George Latimer, Political Boss. And just in the first five minutes, you got uh, people protesting about racial discrimination uh, and prejudice, uh, and then. I mean, we're supposed to root for him in this, in this case, but as part of the protest, it's storming the Capitol or the state Capitol. But I'm just right. like, what? I'm like, I'm listening to this now. And I'm like, oh, shit. And then the police fire on them. And now it's about police brutality uh, and because somebody gets shot. Uh, and then what it turns out to be is that the big people in power are trying to frame these people you know all these people who are fighting for social justice and discrimination they the the corrupt guys are trying to frame them as you know the radical side they keep calling them the radicals yeah. <laughs> and everything and then you also have all these you know at one point some people get captured by people who Clark calls like these insane nationalists who like want a pure America and everything and i'm just like this is like 1946 or something and i'm like this is it's not even the case where they were prophetic. It's just more of just like this is how things have not changed. Right. Unfortunately. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, at least <laughs> like, everybody drinks from the same water. Jesus. Fountain. You know, but other than that, it's like yeah, it's like how much how much different is it? Sadly enough. I mean, yeah. To be fair, there are parts where they're just like, I fought the Japs in World War II. I'm like, okay, well, obviously that part doesn't date. That, that part's a little dated, but yeah, <laughs> like yeah. for what it is, I'm like Jesus. Like this is. I picked a hell of an episode for me to to get back into the Radio Superman. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Back to Alfred. Uh, the epic show Pennyworth is also a very James Bond influence because he's also in that era. He's in the 1960s, you know. So, right. Uh, and in tuxedos and having different love interests and everything and going on missions. The so epic, it's epic show Pennyworth? Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's, he's basically James, uh, a form of – it's like a, it's a gritty James Bond type of thing mm-hmm. with Alfred as James Bond. And uh, it's almost like Thomas Wayne is like his Felix Leiter. Felix Leiter is like the the American agent who's like his friend, James it's Bond's friend. So, so I just can't you know. believe there's a fucking Alfred show. And <laughs> it, it looks like it has a huge budget, and no one talks about it. 
No, I, I like the first season. I want to check out the second season. You when saw the it's whole like season. Able to be binge. I saw the for all, all of the first season. It's it's more insane than you think. Like it's wow. They because I'm just like oh this is probably a nice little adventure show, but then they just go in different places that I was not expecting, wow. and the violence is just like this is it's more violent than a James Bond. It's that's cool. And yeah, you can like, do that because it's not Batman. It's 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 Alfred. So yeah, it's Alfred. So That's you can cool. see him use a shotgun to basically decapitate a guy, and you're like, well, <laughs> this is young Alfred. This is not. Right. This, he doesn't have a no kill rule. That uh, guy so in Gotham was great, though. Also, Sean Pertwee. Yeah, yeah. Butler, mate. You know, like <laughs> Butler. That, that yeah. line in the first season that was so good. Are you his yeah. bodyguard? No, Butler, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see other common actors between the Bond franchise and the Batman franchise or other common elements so Bond as I said also has a history of disfigured villains Uh, Stromberg Carl Stromberg in The Spy Who Loved Me has webbed feet kind of like Penguin has webbed hands in Batman Returns that I doubt that was a direct influence because I don't see Burton being a big Bond fan like Nolan, but still. Um, and then nah, a few villains. Like, oh, it's a penguin. Okay, we're going to make him like <laughs> yeah. this. That's all it is. Uh, in Goldeneye, Sean Bean's character, Alec Trevelyan, gets into you know an explosion partially caused by Bond that scars half his face. Uh, and similar thing, they repeat the same thing with a character named Zhao, played by Rick Yoon in Die Another Day, where half of his face has like diamonds cut embedded into it. So uh, we Bond has a couple Two Face type characters in the franchise. Right. Uh, License to Kill with Tim- Timothy Dalton was uh, it, the main actor who was the villain in that was Robert Davi, and he was not like the Blofeld type. He was basically a drug runner. <laughs> Like, they went real with License to Kill. But Robert Davi also voiced the Batman Beyond villain, uh, Magma, in uh, that episode where they kind of do a takeoff of the Fantastic Four, but as, like, villains, uh, if you remember that. So. All right, so that's all you get for this week. That was our episode released from the Patreon Vault. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to hear the full episode, please go to patreon.com slash superhero stuff pod. And this, the rest of this episode and a bunch more is there. It's at the $5 tier. So please check that out and we hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you later. Thanks again. Bye. listening to the Geekscape Network.